Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karmateksam Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk by meditation instructor Marcus Casey continues our examination of the book Ultimately Perfect by His Eminence Taisitu Rinpoche. Today we look at Chapter 4, Dharma for the Urban Professional. How should the Dharma influence our modern work life? How do we resolve the tension between our efforts to cut the root of attachment in our own lives and the attachment-based goals of our workplaces? Taisitu Rinpoche muses about these questions and offers a vision of a transformed workplace. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Teksum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you all for coming. Uh, my name is Marcus Casey. I'm a volunteer meditation instructor here at Columbus KTC. And uh, when Lama Kathy's out or when she has uh, interviews scheduled, things like that, um, some of the volunteer meditation instructors do talks. And we work our way through books. And right now we are... Uh, on, I think, our fourth talk, maybe, third or fourth talk uh, from this book uh, called Ultimately Perfect by uh, Taisitu Rinpoche. And Taisitu Rinpoche is the 12th Situ Rinpoche um, in, in the Taisitu lineage. He is, uh, it's one of the oldest lineages, and uh, just a couple weeks ago, we talked in our other book that we're working through. Uh, we went over the history of how he became the first Sichu Rinpoche back during the time of the fifth Karmapa. And uh, it was actually the, the emperor of China, the emperor who created the Forbidden City in downtown Beijing, is actually was a student of the fifth Karmapa and recognized how great the uh, Taisitu was, or this student of the Karmapa was. And, uh, and from that, he became the first Taisitu Rinpoche. So now our 12th site Taisitu Rinpoche is uh, completely a, a delight to listen to teach. He, his books, his online videos, I've never heard him in person, uh, although others here may have, but... Um, he he teaches with a lot of warmth, a lot of humor, and uh, I think the other day I mentioned I was I was online and I saw a quote, and I as I was reading through the quote before I got to the bottom and saw who it was by, I said this has got to be Taisitu Rinpoche just because he 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 speaks with such a humor that it's it's really uh, unique to him that it's it's a lot of fun to listen to him so. If you ever have a chance to hear him speak, uh, don't pass that up. At the beginning of our talks, uh, we traditionally say together the four-line refuge prayer. And it's a prayer that many of you may know, uh, but it is in Tibetan, so many of you also may not know it. If you don't know it, you can feel free to listen and make the aspiration that you will awaken and help others to awaken. When we are chanting this, we are repeating our commitment to take refuge in the three jewels. The Buddha, or the goal, what we aspire to. The Dharma, which is the path. 
and the Sangha, which is our guides or companions on the path. We will chant the refuge prayer three times. Om Sangje Chudang Soki Chognamla Jang Chu Bardu Dani Kapsuchi Dagi Jin Soki Pesunamki Drola Penchir Sangje Druparsho Sangje Chudang Soki Chognamla Jang Chu Bardu Dagni Kapsuchi Dagi Jin Soki Pesunamgi Drola Penchir Sangje Druparsho Sangje Chudang Soki Chonamla Jang Chu Bardu Dagni Kapsuchi Dagi Jin Soki Pesunamgi Drola Penchir Sangje Druparsho Okay, the, the chapter title for today's talk is called Dharma for the Urban Professional. And uh, this, this basically came from a question that, that Taisitu Rinpoche was asked and probably is asked quite often. Um, I will say that preparing this talk was more difficult than most because as I was preparing for it, I realized that uh, multiple times during the talk, I have to say the word rural, and that's about the worst word you can say in a public speaking situation. So we'll be talking about urban professionals and and uh, also talk about rural non-professionals and, and whatever. Um, but uh, so, so Taisitu Rinpoche was asked to talk about the importance of Dharma practice for the urban professional. Um, and as is customary with Taisitu Rinpoche, uh, he's, he's very philosophical. And so one of the first things he does when he gets a topic like this that's asked of him is he starts to wrestle with the words and the language and, and define the terms. So he starts out by wondering what is the difference between an urban professional and a rural non-professional? And, um, or a rural professional and an urban non-professional and whatever labels we, we give ourselves. But I think he settles on trying to understand the term in the context of what the person who was asking it was intending. And he picks up on the fact that the person who is asking it is asking from the perspective of urban professionals being people who are very busy, have a lot of stress, and have a lot of pressure. So uh, he really starts from, from that standpoint. He says that urban professionals are people who know a lot, and therefore they have a lot to be confused about. He says, whatever, however much, you know, the more you know, the more confusion you can have. Um, 
whether he says that whether you're a rural non-professional or an urban professional, the uh, importance of Dharma practice is equal. There's no difference. Both have a lot of suffering, and both have the limitless potential to become Buddhas. But he says that in terms of a real, immediate, and desperate need, he would say that urban professionals ha- get a lot of immediate benefit when they practice uh, because they are so busy, so stressed, and so pressured, and therefore so swamped with confusion. Um, he says, and, and I will say, as as we talk about um, the the rural non-professional and the professional and all this kind of thing, understand it's just shorthand for for talking about uh, people who live in cities with busy lives. And and he also uh, lives in India, and so the the culture there being different, there may be a little bit of a different distinction or possibly even a a greater distinction between the lives that people lead in the cities versus the lives that they lead in uh, in rural environments. Um, In in truth, um, in our cities these days, with media being what it is, our cities, our rural environments, they're exposed to exactly the same influences and in a lot of ways probably have exactly the same stresses. Um, but most of you, I assume, are from the Columbus area. Ohio itself um, only gets so rural. Um, you, there obviously is a lot of farmland, but you can't go too far without um, without hitting another city in Ohio. So, um, so don't get too too caught up in the in the distinction of wondering if you qualify as a an urban professional or not. Um, all of this, I think, applies to us. So, um, but he says that in his way of thinking, a rural non-professional would be someone who is more relaxed um, and uh, therefore the long-term, but very, very relaxed in there in the way they they approach life don't have as much uh, immediate stress whereas the the urban person has more stresses he said the long-term benefit of dharma for both of these groups would be the same uh, but the short-term immediate benefit of meditation uh, might help the urban professional who is by nature less relaxed and uh, more stressed so um, Taishichi Rinpoche says that urban, by definition, is a small area with a lot of people in it. And um, there's a lot of activity, a lot of choices, and a lot of competition. In urban life, we are bombarded by competition. Um, we are bombarded by it in multiple ways. We are the target of that competition in the way that we receive advertising. Um, tar- we're the target of people trying to influence our choices. But he says, as urban professionals, we are often the source of that competition too. Uh, because often the source of the competition and, and all of the choices that are presented um, are the companies that we are working for. And we are adding to that. 
in many cases, it is our job to help our company run more efficiently and smoothly to get a competitive advantage. And then he starts to say that in this way, our world is becoming more and more evil. He says evil has many meanings. Um, one is of really wanting to harm some, someone, to cause su real suffering to others. Um, that's not the kind of evil he's talking about. He says uh, there's another kind of evil that is the evil that is trying to serve you. It tries to make you get what you want easily. And um, it tries to pamper you in such a way that you cannot resist. Now, thinking back to um, the Four Noble Truths, um, the Buddha in his very first teaching says that the source of our suffering is what? Desire, attachment right? And so what he's talking about is that we are often engaged ourselves and receive the targets of the, the manipulation of people, uh, people's desires, uh, trying to stir up their attachments. Um, you know, you, you see it everywhere. Turn on the most innocuous TV, HGTV, and what might you come away with, right? You are suddenly dissatisfied with something in your house, right? There's something you can do to improve your house after watching HGTV. Um, so so we, we receive that all the time. And then also we engage in that uh, for a lot of us in, in our daily lives, in our work. Um, he says that this is not a negative evilness. It's more of a positive evilness. But why is it evil? Because it doesn't help you. It doesn't give you peace. Um, in fact, it takes away the peace that's within you. He says that maybe you have a restaurant that you like that you go to all the time. It's cheap. It's clean. It has nice food. And then one day you go to another restaurant. And it's also cheap, clean, and has nice food, but it has something else that you like a little bit better. And so you start going to this other restaurant. And, and then you've lost that stable thing you had in your life, the, the original restaurant. You start to change things up. And he said, you do the same with clothes and everything else. Um, the, uh, I got to thinking about this, and I got to thinking... Uh, of some of my experience, and, and I wonder if I'm alone in this, but how many of you have started shopping for something online? And you've spent literally hours over the course of days and weeks reading reviews and, and studying, you know, this one versus this one, which, you know, they're 99% the same, but one of them's a different color. One of them has this one attribute that you might like, but the other one has this other attribute. Um, and you really spend a lot of time torturing yourself over the decision. Am I the only one who does that? Uh, yeah, I am. Huh? <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. Okay. I got both answers. Um, <laughs> Right, right, right. So when you were doing with that, 
Um, and, and, you know, there may be people who enjoy this, but when you're really trying, you've got it narrowed down and you're really trying to make that decision, are you at peace or are you kind of kind of stirred up and a little bit anxious about it? Um, and then and then after you make the decision, um, you can go a couple ways with it. Um, you you might continue to read those reviews and, and say, oh, did I choose right? And then you start torturing yourself a little longer. Um, or, or you say, nope, I chose the right one, and everyone else who chose this other one was wrong. And then everyone ends up dividing into camps, and then you have you know, all the wars on online, Android versus uh, iPhone and, and PC versus Mac and uh, Ford versus Chevy or whatever it is, right? Suddenly you've got a team and there's a division and, and you're attached. You've made that part of your identity, the thing that you purchased. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we can all, to some degree, identify with some of this. Um, and Rinpoche here says that um, the difference between rural people and urban people in his experience is that if you see a rural person and they have their hair a certain way and then you see them again 10 years later, there might be a little less hair, it might have some gray in it, but they're going to be wearing their hair the same way they were 10 years ago. <laughs> Whereas uh, um, with urban people, they're constantly trying to keep up with the latest trends and styles, and so they'll be switching it up and changing it over time. Um, I told you he has a lot of humor. You can't can't take this stuff totally seriously sometimes with him. But um, returning to that second type of competition, Rinpoche says that we oftentimes are a tool for creating a competitive atmosphere, for creating choice, and for trying to influence people to make certain decisions. It is your job to think which way your company will do better, how you can keep your clients or customers, and what you can do to make your employees stay with you. Um, he says, if you're an urban professional, if you work in a common business environment and you aren't constantly trying to make improvements for your company, then you lose clients and, and you lose customers. Um, you can lose your employees. Um, you lose everything. So you're forced to participate in this mindset. Um, and and I you know I know people pretend from time to time, but but a lot of companies have have big all company meetings and get together and you know they try to create this environment where you're all in it together you know and and if you rock the boat you might not do well. Um, and he says you know so you're you're really taught and conditioned to think this way to think about how can I make improvements and 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 gain new customers and keep my employees. Um, and then he says uh, something that has uh, fascinated me for a long time. So I first read this book. Um, we had a Sangha member who would do uh, book studies on a weeknight. 
uh, for for several years he did that. And uh, one year we, we covered this book and we went through the chapters one week, or one chapter a week for a few weeks. And uh, so I probably first read this book in 2012 when we were doing that. And I have never forgotten this line. And when we talked about doing this for our Dharma talks here, it's actually, uh, I knew this line would come up and, and I didn't know if I'd be teaching it or somebody else, but I I, I knew that, that this would come up. Um, he says that he can't see someone being both an urban professional and a yogi. Um, and he says, he says, I can't sit here and tell you all not to become urban professionals because if all the Dharma people, if all the good people left business, then, then all the bad people would stay. <laughs> and so he'd rather have good people as urban professionals than a complete absence of good people as urban professionals. He's not saying that people should stop being urban professionals. Um, but I've thought about this a lot. Um, he says, you know, it is possible for someone to be a yogi first and then pretend to be an urban professional. And we we do have um, examples of uh, many of the Indian masters who who did you know regular householder stuff um, following their realization and uh, took on jobs and things like that. But he said, um, and he said, if you have the level of realization of Tilopa or Naropa and you man manifest as an urban professional, then that's great. But um, being an urban professional and trying to be a yogi, he says, is impossible in reality because you have to cause suffering. He says you have to hire and fire people. And you have to try to keep your good employees from following other opportunities that may be good for them. Um, and then you may have to let people go and give them a big disappointment. And he says, that's, that's not even being a bodhisattva. Uh, that's, that's being selfish. That's taking your needs or the company's needs uh, as being primary over the other person's. And he says, a bodhisattva should let go of everything and give the best to everyone else. But you often can't do that in your workday world. He says, uh, you can remain a professional and practice dharma. You can have a real dharma practice. He says, you know, if you practice every day for half an hour, an hour a day, you won't become a, a ruthless person. Um, you will be a compassionate and considerate and conscientious urban professional. Then if you meditate, you won't have as much stress because you will know what is real and what is not real. You will come to recognize that everything in samsara is a dream. To become a yogi means to practice renunciation. In preparation for this talk, I did a little bit of research on uh, renunciation, and I ran across an article that was written by Pema Chodron and uh, published in Tricycle Magazine. Tricycle, I think they say it. Tricycle Magazine. Um, and she talks about when people take refuge. When you take refuge, you're given a refuge name, 
And uh, she says that's that refuge name uh, indicates the way you should work. It's it's always translated into English, and so it indicates the way you should work. And she says sometimes people get the name renunciation, and other people get the name discipline. And she said with both of those names, people always come to her, and they just hate their names. <laughs> they wanted something better than they got, right? Um, but uh, she says it, it makes them feel terrible, as though someone gave them the name Torture Chamber or tur- Torture Chamber of Enlightenment. And uh, But she said it, it really all depends on how you look at these names. Renunciation doesn't have to be regarded as a negative. In fact, she said, renunciation can be seen as letting go of holding back. What you are renouncing is closing down and shutting off from life. Renunciation is opening to the teachings of the present moment, she says. And and I thought about that a lot. I thought um, what we're actually renouncing is our attachments, right? And if we're worried about that, if we react negatively to renunciation, we're only thinking of the outer forms of renunciation, you know, giving everything away or quitting your job, going into retreat or or whatever. Um, But the true renunciation is opening yourself to the present moment and letting go of everything that's pulling you out of that present moment. Um, Think about shopping and reading reviews over and over and over. You're not living in the present moment when you're doing that. It's that it's all that attachment that you're building that's pulling you out of the present moment. Um, so it's not so much about giving up a thing as it is letting go of that attachment and uh, being open to the present moment. It's seeing our attachments as anchors and letting go of them. So I think what Taisitu Rinpoche is getting at here. Um, regarding being a yogi and being a an urban professional, and the conflict between the two is the fact that many times, instead of renouncing attachment, we are developing it, and we're developing it in others. We're working to development, develop it in others. Um, he says, you know, your job as an urban professional, is attachment, attachment, attachment. Whereas a yogi is practicing renunciation, renunciation, renunciation. But he says that if you're saying mantras like Omani Peme Hong, or doing meditation like Shine uh, and Laktong, which is also Shamatha and Vipassana, um, or if you're following a long-term practice like uh, like the preliminary practices, or nundro. He says that uh, through those practices, step by step, it will play two roles in your life as an urban professional. He says, first, you will be a person with, uh, with morals and ethics. Um, you may still have to hire and fire people, um, but you will fire them fairly. Um, he says it's possible to 
string someone along that's not actually doing a good job and you you think you're doing what's best for them you think you're you're being compassionate to them but it's not actually compassionate and sometimes um that isn't what is most beneficial for them he says it becomes a form of um what has become a, a common phrase in in these circles idiot compassion um Compassion, he says, has to be responsible compassion. If you are not responsible with compassion, if you don't practice compassion with some level of wisdom, then you can actually do harm to someone in the name of compassion. And practice gives us that wisdom and that conscience to be able to discern the difference between uh, responsible compassion and idiot compassion. The second thing he says that Dharma practice does is that it allows true Dharma to progress within, from within, I'm sorry. So not only will you be a good person, but your primordial wisdom will begin to manifest from within as you get closer and closer to enlightenment. He says, even if you're a billion miles from enlightenment, if you move one inch toward enlightenment, that's a good thing. You've moved one inch toward enlightenment and not further away, and that's worth it. So, um, so he says, even if, even if you're in a position where it's your job to create attachment like this, um, and you, you can't leave it, either because you have people who depend on you or whatever your reason is that you can't leave it, leave whatever progress you can make is progress. Um, even if it takes many lifetimes, if you keep heading in the right direction, you will get there. He said, um, to be in samsara with progress is better than no progress, and no progress is better than going backwards. Um, you can be an example to other professionals who want to practice dharma. He says it's not really a movement, but it's a change in mindset. It's not naive, it is not extreme, and it is not impractical. He says it's practical, mature, and productive, yet compassionate, devoted, and responsible. With dharma understanding, you will not get so caught up and be so attached and take everything so seriously. And take everything, you will not take everything so much as being real. He reminds us that whatever we are doing, whatever our profession is, it is a dream. He says that in that dream, you can make things happen in a better way, or you can make things happen in a worse way. And you should make things happen in a better way. Um, but what he's getting at here is that really we operate on two levels as a Dharma practitioner. Um, there's a way we operate on the, on the ultimate level. In other words, understanding the way things actually are the way things ultimately are, as opposed to the way they appear to be, uh, the mere appearances of phenomena. And when you function on the way things actually are, um, 
you begin to see their dreamlike nature of the appearances. Then there's also the relative way or the way things appear with working in the context of that dream. And in that context, there's a positive way to act as well as a negative way to act. There's a way to act with wisdom. There is progress. There is stagnation or there is regression. So um, in the ultimate sense, uh, we learn that even progress is a dream. In ultimately, we have Buddha nature. And ultimately, uh, the way things are, everything else is just a dream. Um, but we have to learn to function and learn to think in both of those ways and not to confuse the two. And this is where it can get dangerous if we begin to confuse the two. Using the wisdom and understanding of the way things ultimately are and seeing the dreamlike nature of phenomena helps us to cut through our attachment. And using it that way is proper and correct. But if you ever find yourself using the, the logic and the understanding of uh, ultimate reality as a reason to excuse yourself from compassionate activity or a way to um, let yourself off the hook from feeling empathy towards someone or something like that, then you're confusing the ultimate and the relative. Within the realm of the relative, it is our responsibility as bodhisattvas in training to expand our compassion to all beings and work diligently to make progress on the path of enlightenment for their sake. Mixing the two can lead you down the extreme path of nihilism, which is one of the extremes uh, in which Buddhism forms the middle way. Uh, so I don't know if any of you have heard uh, Buddhism described as the middle way, um, but it describes itself that way. And, and in many texts and in a lot of the philosophical talks, it is the um, middle way between nihilism on the one hand and uh, materialism on the other hand. And so we go down the middle. And I think, I think uh, if you get confused with, um, between the ultimate and the relative, you can end up going toward that extreme direction. Um, so practicing, doing our practices uh, that increase our understanding of ultimate bodhicitta helps us with renunciation because it helps us take less seriously those things that we are attached to and that we are taught to be attached to and that tend to be the goal of uh, our professional lives. So uh, then Rinpoche starts to say that a large part of our stress in our career comes from attachment to our ego and jealousy. He says, even as you progress as a Dharma practitioner, you will still have to get up early in the morning. Um, you'll still have many tasks you have to accomplish throughout the day. You, you know, 
there's still a lot going on. Um, but if we can remove that attachment to ego and jealousy, then we can remove a lot of the stress that, that we add to that um, because we can see those stressors as actually being dreamlike. But he still reminds us, whatever our company is selling or buying, all that we are doing, all of this is an illusion. An illusion of an illusion. He says we all have to have money, but that's actually our fault too. As humans, we created this. If you go back in history and look at it, at some point, money system was created, um, and now we have to have it. And we, we legitimately do. Uh, without it, we live on the street. We go hungry. Uh, but it's a created thing. It's a condition that we have created, and now we have to follow it. And so we follow it for that reason, but nothing more. It should not be a goal in and of itself. He says uh, that uh, the more he uh, talks about this subject, he says this really um, is a vast and very relevant subject, interpreting the Dharma in the modern professional environment. He says it will become more so. Competition will become more and more, not less. Choices will become more and more, not less. Consumers will become more and more, not less. So it becomes more and more relevant uh, that we figure out how to apply the Dharma to uh, our profession, to each profession, uh, because he says it can be applied to each profession in a different way. Um, so just as an aside, when the chapter gets to the, the uh, section on where people are asking questions of Rinpoche, the person who asked for this topic get up, gets up and confesses that um, apparently he's a defense attorney. And um, there was a high-profile case um, regarding something very horrible that happened, and he got to thinking about if he were called on to defend the person who had uh, committed these acts. And uh, so uh, the Dharma applies to his situation in a certain way. It applies to our situations in other ways. Um, but we should always make sure to try to interpret it and make it relevant to our professional lives. Um, we don't want to compartmentalize our time at work and our time in Dharma and our time on the cushion and our time off the cushion and things like that. Um, that's not what we're looking to do. Um, we're looking to meditate as a way to uh, manifest our primordial wisdom in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, from a traditional standpoint, Rinpoche says that we can, a good starting point is to apply the six paramitas or perfect virtues to uh, our, our professional lives. The six perfect virtues are, of course, generosity, morality, patience, diligence, concentration or meditation, and wisdom. And he says that if you practice and remember these every day, 
in everything that you do, then it will be a positive seed uh, for your future, um, can be a positive seed for your company, uh, for the future of urban professionals. And, um, and he starts to kind of envision a way that we can transform um, professional life. He says, part of being a professional should be to be conscientious, to be kind, to have farsight, and to have wisdom. He said, all of that can be part of an urban professional's qualifications. This is not impossible. He, he says, uh, he points to progress that we've made in certain areas. He points to the idea of smoking. Um, just in the workplace, that used to be um, prevalent in a lot of workplaces. And then people started to change their opinions uh, on it. And now if you look at Ohio, um, I don't think any workplaces are allowed to have smoking, or, or not many anyway. Um, so things can change, is his point in that. Um, the, the work environment can change. He says, if you readjust your definition of success as an urban professional, and you start to see the importance of developing a clear and calm mind, of developing kindness, devotion, and responsibility, you can still remain productive, um, but it will really change the way you work. He says there's a possibility to naturally evolve a new way of doing business, a new way of being a professional. And once it reaches a certain level, then it will have a weight and gravity of its own. I think he's talking about there will be a tipping point at some point. And so we plant seeds, we build, and uh, we never know what it will grow into at some point. He says, so if you really want to be a yogi, he doesn't want to stop you. He's kind of gone full circle. Um, earlier in the talk, he's saying, if you want to be a dar an urban professional, I don't want to stop you. And now he's saying, if you want to be a yogi, I don't want to stop you. But we need people uh, to um, who, who are professionals to stick with that. And um, he says, you might influence several other professionals each year. And they may then influence others, and it can spread and ultimately have an impact on the whole of humanity. Um, so he says, be a professional, but in a better way, in a good way, not in a bad way. At some point in the future, when many beings have good karma, it might, it might be much easier to be good than bad. Uh, currently, he says, unfortunately, because of everyone's karma, it's easier to be bad than good. But if the forces of good prevail, then it will be much easier to be good than bad at some point in the future. Um, I got to thinking about things that a lot of us go through in, in our lives, uh, in our work environment. Um, being overworked, uh, having conflict with coworkers, um, you know, feeling like a coworker isn't pulling his or her weight, um, being passed over for a promotion or a raise or, or a bonus or whatever. Um, 
um, knowing that your company stretches the truth in some of its sales claims, whatever. There are no easy answers to any of these questions. Um, but we should make sure that we um, contemplate them from the perspective of Dharma. We should make sure that we examine the ego, the attachment to ego, uh, that is at the root of the suffering we're feeling uh, from a lot of these circumstances. And um, we should then do our Dharma practices to attempt to cut that attachment and release ourselves from that. And that's the true renunciation. So I guess uh, in summary, the true yogi is the one who's able to bring life circumstances to the path, right? And so we all find ourselves wherever we find ourselves. Um, for me, it's it's you know, working a job and having kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, bringing my experiences, bringing the mind that I have in the present uh, during all of the things I face throughout the day to my practice is actually um, what will be beneficial. The formal practice then is what gives us the strength and the mindfulness to do it uh, throughout our day. So uh, that's all I have, and we have plenty of time for questions. If the question microphone is open, if anyone wants to come up and say something. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, you came up. You have to ask one now. <laughs> Was I just speaking to a room of relaxed rural non-professionals? Is that, is that what it was? No one, no one is working these things out. Um, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure there are are um, many different ways that this applies to many different people. I got to thinking about, um, you know. A doctor. Well, the example in the book was was an attorney, uh, and a doctor might have a totally different set of of concerns. Uh, uh, someone in marketing versus someone in IT. You know, there are just so many different experiences. Uh, there are a lot of ways to to um, apply this. So I came prepared in case we didn't have questions we can do something a little different. So, um, why don't we divide up into groups of about six or seven people. We won't do this for very long, but just kind of form a group of about six or seven people, maybe, um, maybe four groups. That may be a little more than, than, than that, but divide up into four groups. Move your chairs, whatever you need to do, kind of cluster up. And uh, let's do a little activity. 
What I want you to do, um, first of all, is I want you to go around um, and, and very briefly, just one sentence or so, describe um, something you've dealt with at work in the last year that's been difficult. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe you're having conflict with a coworker. Anything like that. Um, go around. We're not going to have time to talk about all of them. Uh, but I want each of you just to share briefly something that you've been through. And then ultimately we're going to pick one of those um, and start talking about it in the context of the Dharma, specifically in the context of the six paramitas. Um, and if you need a reminder of what those are, I can, I can remind you. But someone in your group will know them. Uh, so um, go ahead and, and start talking about things that have been difficult for you at work in the last year or so. If everyone's had a chance to kind of say what what your thing is, uh, let's pick one one thing we want to talk about or, or something for a couple minutes, and then we'll actually have someone from the group come up and share um, some insights uh, from your group uh, at the very end. Elect someone from your group to come up to the microphone and just kind of share some of the insights that were talked about. Uh, we would we would love to love to hear from from the groups. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks, Marcus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you know, I always think to myself about meetings. Like the stated thing is not always the most important thing that gets accomplished. You know. Mm. So if nothing else, I got to know a few people a little better Great. today as a result of your exercise. <laughs> but I guess I uh, actually this is something Michael said. Kind of had an insight about how many of the things we were saying sort of had a common theme. And the common theme was that, you know, the company or the agency we work for, there's, there's like pressure to move in a big direction that's, that's be, been decided as a policy matter that often doesn't have great regard for the individuals. You mm-hmm. know, Michael has had to fire someone. Linda's a teacher. She's had to follow a curriculum as a teacher that she feels is incomplete, not mm-hmm. ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work for the state and sometimes feel like there's some profit motive that's getting in the way of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, first ca- first caring about how well people are served in terms of their access to medical medical care and things like that. So that's mm-hmm. how I characterize it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This group, do go for it. So for our discussion, we kind of started from a place of people not um, kind of having a full integration of themselves with their work life. So maybe they're separating their emotions from their work life or they're not talking to their coworkers, frankly, about things that are happening at home, these sorts of things. And from there, we kind of moved to talking about compassion, but not just for other sentient beings, also for yourself, for your own experience and that you know, if you lash out in anger or do something that might not be so um, in accord with your values, with the Dharma, don't beat yourself up about it. You know, you have to reflect at the end of the day or even just right after you did it and catch that you made a mistake, but use that as a learning opportunity. Go forward from there. You know, it's like when you're, when you lose your concentration, um, when you're practicing shine meditation, you don't get angry at yourself once you realize you lost it because that 
is mindfulness. You're happy that you remembered. And that's kind of how you train yourself through this more positive reinforcement um, and holding it lightly. Thank you. All right. We did get you up there, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard for me to form sentences and paragraphs uh, coming up with a synopsis of what I've heard. But before I was working on my house, I was uh, I worked for Frank County, and I like to call it the people care business. And I noticed there's like some people in our group that are unemployed. And uh, Franklin County would take people who really couldn't get a job otherwise, and they'd give them something to do at the art workshops. And um, I hate I hate this trend. I feel that that the people care business is is getting shunted for um, like a totally opposite, 180 degree opposite type of money investment in weapons and wars and stuff like that, which I don't consider the people care business. But um, every day is a new day. I think this, the year of the pig, I think is a good trend. Hmm. So Let's hope so. Hopefully the, the people who are, um, have uncertain futures will uh, have good luck this year. Great. Thank you. All right. Well, let's uh, dedicate the merit, and then I'll let you guys go. Thanks for hanging around. Let's dedicate the merit of being here today and listening to the words of Taisiji Rinpoche. Um by virtue of the merit gathered here, by the power of relative and ultimate bodhicitta, may all sentient beings become like the protector Chinrezi, who dwells neither in the extreme of existence nor in that of peace. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.